Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 45. Great passage today about service, about greatness. And so let's read from God's Word. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink, and the baptism with which I'm baptized, you'll be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must first be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Father, we thank you for your word. And most importantly, God, we thank you, Jesus, for your service to us. Thank you, Jesus, for coming, for letting go of the privileges of your divinity and being born uh, as a baby and living a, a life of, of struggle and difficulty and experiencing all the stuff we experience. Thank you, Jesus, for, for taking our sin upon your own back, for bearing it, for paying for it, for paying our ransom. And Lord, we want to follow you. God, I want to be great. God, I want, I want these people to be great. Great not in, in the world sense, but great in the kingdom. Lord, teach us how to do that. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I've always thought it would be great to have been one of the apostles, one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. I mean, here you've got uh, just all the great things that God did through them and all the great ministry they had. But, you know, there's some things that are kind of negative about that, too. And uh, one of those things is that your mistakes get immortalized. Uh, You know what I mean by that? Like we read them over and 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 over again, you know. I don't know if they can see us in heaven. I don't know how that actually works. Hebrews 12 kind of maybe implies that people do kind of know what's going on here and they're kind of witnesses to uh, how we're living. Uh, Maybe, I don't know. But if they can see us, you know what I think James and John are doing right now? They're like, not again, you know. Uh, I mean, because they really blow it here, you know. And and, and just think of how that is to, to have your mistake Repeated over and over again. I actually know how, kind of how that is a little bit. Um, this week we were talking about the uh, the Northwestern Bake Sale. There's uh, the BSU, the Baptist Student Union at Northwestern, having a bake sale, and and so uh, whoever I was talking with, we our family was there. I can't even remember who it was, but but they were talking about uh, this story they remember about a bake sale. It's about a husband and wife, and uh, it's really just a great kind of husband story. And the wife makes like a pie for the bake sale, and, you know. Then they're going to auction off the the baked goods. You guys have probably been to those before. And uh, the as it's being auctioned off, the wife realizes she did not use sugar; she used salt, and so it's going to taste horrible. So she whispers to her husband, and the husband. Being a good guy that he is, you know what he does? He spends as much as it takes to buy us that pie, you know? 
And he buys it. And then he sits right there down, you know, because usually what happens, you have the big dessert and everybody shares, you know. He sits down. He guards it. You know, he tells everybody, no, no, this is my favorite pie. And he eats the whole thing, you know. And, and uh, you know, I don't know. The story goes, anyway, it goes that, you know, he had to go outside and relieve himself a couple times, you know. Because he, you know, just to choke down that thing. But he did it for his wife, you know. And, well, I knew what was coming. I knew it was coming because there's a, there's a story that's like urban legend in our family. It's actually true. But, you know, it's just kind of one of those things that's repeated over and over again about us being newly married. We were in college. We had a Bible study. And, and there was a, a birthday party for one of the Bible study leaders. And so my wife, we were one of the few that lived in an apartment. We had an oven. So my wife baked a cake and brought it to the Bible study. And everybody was eating it. And, and I popped off just, I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to hurt or anything, but I just said, you know, I made a comment about the cake being dry. I said, it's a little dry, honey, or something like that. And it hurt her feelings and it's terrible. And that thing's been retold a million times, you know. So this bake sale thing's going, you know, it's happening. And they're talking about this guy, you know, who, who saves his wife's honor, you know, by eating the whole thing. And I'm thinking in my mind, red velvet cake story's coming, you know. And I thought I dodged the bullet, you know. It, five minutes passed, you know. And I thought, man, I made it through. You know, that thing's finally dead. One of the kids is like, hey, dad, you remember that's kind of like that big dad, that time you did that about that cake mom did. Tell that story, mom. Golly. That's got to be the way these guys feel, you know? I mean, I mean, because they blew it. I mean, uh, they just did. There's no way around that. They blew it, okay? Jesus is telling him, in verse 33 and 34, we didn't read this, but. Jesus is telling his disciples how he's going to be condemned to death and delivered over the Gentiles. And they're going to mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. In verse 34, after three days, he's going to rise. I mean, he's telling them, I'm going to the cross. And what are these guys doing? These guys are, are jockeying for position. You know, they're, they're trying to get ahead of the other disciples so that they can be first in line. So that they can be better than everybody else. They can be more powerful and seen as greater. And, and I mean, they're just completely missed the point of the cross, okay? And so most sermons on this passage are about James and John, kind of their pride and their arrogance. And they're, they're missing the boat about service and humility. But because I know how these guys feel because of the red velvet cake story, you know what I'm going to do? I'm not going to emphasize that. I'm going to emphasize what they did right, okay? And then we're going to go ahead and talk about, you know, the, the passage. But there's some things they did right here, okay? Let, let, me, let me share some of those with you. Number one, you know what they did right? They knew that Jesus was going to be glorified. They knew that Jesus was going to sit on a throne. I mean, that, that's something, isn't it? Let's give them a little bit of credit here that these guys realize, you know what? Jesus is going to be king. He's going to rule over all. And, and I want to be close to him. I want to be in this kingdom. And here's what I really believe is going on in their hearts. I really believe even though they were wrong about how they did it, even though they were wrong about how, how, what it meant, they wanted to be great in the kingdom of God. And friends, I think that is a good thing, okay? I think that's a good thing. Now, again, Jesus rebukes them for a couple things they got really wrong. Number one, they completely don't understand the cost of greatness, okay? You, you, know, you know what they think greatness is? They think greatness is getting first in line, okay? Have, have you ever seen people that are really good at that, you know? We have those folks at, uh, at our fellowship dinners, you know? We'll be like all down and ready, you know, and ready to eat in, in the fellowship dinner. And, well, let's pray over the food. And I don't know how it happens, okay? But, uh, you know, a person that's way over there, I go down to pray. I get up, and they're like on the other side, right by the table. And they're already in sprint mode with their plate by the time I say amen. You know, bam, they're there, you know? I'm like, whoa, 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 hold 
on here, you know? But for a lot of folks, that's what, that's what it means to be great is we just got to get first in line. We got to be the best. We got to be number one. We got everybody. We want everybody to think of us, okay? We, we, and that's what James and John are trying to do. They're trying to get to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, Jesus, you know, hey, when your kingdom comes, we're going to be first, right? We're going to be there first, right? We want to be number one. We want to be better than everybody else. They even brought their mom. Isn't that embarrassing? If you read this story in Matthew, they bring their mom. That, oh, it's shameful, you know? Salome was Mary's sister. So they bring, they bring the mom card, you know? They're, they're going to they're gonna play on Jesus' emotions for his mom. Here's your sister, or your mom's sister, your aunt. She wants this, Jesus. I mean, these guys, okay, they really messed up about how you go about being great. But they did want to be great, Okay. Now, they also messed up in what does it mean to be great, okay? What does it mean to be great? They didn't get that either, okay? But, but listen, I, I, w- I want to emphasize this. It is a good thing to want to be great in the kingdom of God. And I believe that Jesus even teaches that here. If you'll notice verse 43, he says, But it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Do you see that? Whoever would be great among you. Now, what does that imply? Okay, Whoever would be great among you, and then Jesus goes on to teach about how to do it. Okay, So if Jesus is saying, if you want to be great, this is how you do it. This is how you do it. Obviously, that's not wrong, is it? It's not wrong to want to be great in the kingdom of God, in God's way. Okay, Because he says, whoever would be great, must be this, must be your servant. I mean, Jesus would never teach us to do something that was wrong. Jesus is never going to see say, hey, you know what? If you want to be a cruel jerk, here's how to do it. Yeah, you're, you're never going to find that with Jesus. You're never going to find Jesus say, you know what? If you want to be an arrogant idolater, here's how. Jesus doesn't do that. So when he says, whoever would be great among you must be, and he tells us how to do it, it must be right and good for us to be great. And here's what I would tell you. I think it's wrong not to want to be great in the kingdom of God. Okay. Now, again, how do you define greatness? Well, if you define greatness as being first, if you define greatness as being looked up to, the spotlight's on you, you know, you're pushing everybody around, you're calling the shots, you're ordering, you're, everybody's catering to you, okay, bad. All right, that's the world's idea of greatness. But listen, if your idea of greatness is, I want to do something for Jesus. I want to be a contributor. I, I want to make an impact on the kingdom of God. I want to influence people toward Jesus. I want to influence people to glorify Jesus. I, I want to make a difference. I want my life to count for something. That's good, okay? That's good. And you ought to want that. Listen, if you're here today and your idea of, of, of the kingdom of God is you just want to get out of hell, okay? That's all you want. That's as, that's as big as your aspiration is, is I want to get out of hell and into heaven, but that's all. I don't care about anything else. I don't care about making a difference. I don't care about if anybody else comes. I don't care about Jesus' glory. I don't care about the kingdom of God. I don't care about inf- making an impact. I just want to get out of hell, you know? I just, I don't want to burn forever. I want to be in heaven and that's all I can. Listen, that's a sorry existence for a Christian. You ought to want to be great. You ought to want to make an impact. You ought to want to do something for the kingdom of God. You ought not want to be half-hearted in anything you do for Christ. In fact, in the Bible, I don't think we have this on the screen, but in Colossians 3, it tells us that we ought to want to be, we ought to want to do well whatever we do, okay? Doing anything half-hearted doesn't glorify Jesus. Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you receive the inheritance as your reward. You're serving the Lord Christ, okay? So whether you pick up trash for a living or work in the oil field or, or carry mail or sell something or retail or child care or whatever it is, you ought to want to do that as if serving Jesus. 
Jesus. You don't want to do that with all your heart, okay? So mediocrity is never okay in the kingdom of God. You ought to want to do something. You ought to want to make a difference. You ought to want to use your life for the glory of Jesus Christ. You ought to want to use your resources, use your money, use your time. Use whatever you've got for the glory of the kingdom of God. And folks, that's not wrong to want to be great. Now, let me tell you what is wrong, okay? What is wrong is thinking of greatness in the way that the world thinks of greatness, okay? Now, one of the big clues that we're on the wrong track when we we begin to think of greatness is whenever you think of greatness... In relation to your comparison to somebody else, okay? This really helps me. I hope it'll help you. But whenever I'm thinking about how do I compare with somebody else, okay? Whenever I'm comparing myself to somebody else, comparing my church to somebody else's church, comparing my ministry to somebody else's ministry, comparing my finances to somebody else's finances, comparing my my appearance to somebody else's appearance, whenever there is comparison involved, it's shot, okay? It's shot. I mean, we're on the wrong track. We're thinking of it in the wrong way. We, we've blown it already, okay? So, so it should not be a comparison thing. We should not want the spotlight on me. We should want the spotlight on Jesus, right? That's how you know you got, you got the right view of greatness is I don't want the spotlight on me. I don't care how I appear in, in comparison to other people. What I want is the spotlight on Jesus Christ. And so, so whenever we begin to think about competition, we're on the wrong track right away. Whenever we're comparing ourselves to other people. In fact, listen to what Philippians says about this. By the way, we're going to be in Philippians a lot. It's a great book on service. And so we're going to be referring to it. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Notice what it said there. Do nothing from rivalry. What's rivalry? Have you been watching March Madness? Yeah. Rivalry is competition, right? It's, it's I want to be better than you. I, I want to be seen as better than you. I want to be, I, I, I want to be exalted as, I want you down here and me here. I want you to owe me. I want you to, you feel obligated to cater to me and do what I say and listen to me and serve me. I want, I want you here and me here. Okay. That's what rivalry is. And anytime there is that, it blows greatness. Okay. You've missed it. In fact, you know what you do? You damage the kingdom of God. Let me tell you, that sort of thinking in marriage, that sort of thinking in your work, that sort of thinking in in your neighborhood, in your friendships, in your family, it will destroy relationships and will destroy you glorifying Jesus. Notice what happens here. Go back to Mark here. Mark chapter 10. What happens with these other guys? Okay, so James and John, they get first in line. They're having the conversation. The other 10 hear about it. Look at verse 41. And when the 10 heard it, they began to be indignant. What does indignant mean? They are ticked off, right? They're mad at James and John. Why? Because James and John are trying to exalt themselves over over them. And let me tell you, anytime this occurs in marriage, anytime it occurs in a a church, in a family, I'll tell you, there's going to be strife. Anytime greatness is seen as exalting oneself over another, being better than, you stay in your place. I see you as down here. I see me as up here. Man, anytime that happens, it's going to be bad. In a marriage, you know what I see in a marriage? A lot of people have invisible scoreboards. Did you know that? They have scoreboards in their marriage, okay? And it kind of goes like this, you know? It goes like, it goes like well, you know what? I did the dishes. I cleaned the bathroom. I run the kids. I, I was nice to you. I was kind to you. I got you coffee in the morning. I did this, this, and this. Honey, I've got 12 points today. Notice your scoreboard, sweetie. You've got zero. Okay, we have a hard time seeing the other scoreboard, by the way. We don't see it at the right angle. But a lot of people, that's the way they think of their marriage. And so then you know what they start doing? They start withholding. 
They thought, well, you know, I ain't doing no more for you. You know why? Because you got zero, I got 12. You owe me. You see what we're doing? We're, we're, we're exalting ourselves. We're putting ourselves in places. We're comparing. And you know what that does to a marriage? That means you're going to be in to see me pretty soon, probably, okay? That's no good. You know what it does in a church? Same thing. You know what it does in a workplace? Man, some of you, you bosses, some of you guys, man, what happens when, when your employees start doing that? What well, man, it's a disaster, when they start comparing who's this and who's that, and who did more. And, you, know, you know what's interesting? You know what I found? Most of the people at Lincoln Avenue, they do everything at their workplace and everybody else does nothing. That's my informal survey. When I, when I talk to people, that's mostly what they say. I'm thinking, man, if it wasn't for us, this town shut down. Nobody else does nothing anywhere. Sad deal. So what do we need to do? You know, we, we need to begin to see our identity differently. You know what's interesting? The Apostle Paul, whenever he refers to himself, if you look at the first of, of some of Paul's books, like the first of Romans, uh, first verse of Philippians, first verse of Titus, you know what he says? Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, a servant of the Lord. Or he'll say, Paul, a bond slave of Jesus Christ. He says that in one place. And he says it over and over again. You know what I think is really healthy about that? I think if I would get up every morning and, and if I would, if I would sell, tell myself, Jason, you're a bond slave of Jesus. You're, you're a servant of Christ. You know what? You've died. Christ, your life's in Christ. And now, you know what? You need to look at others as people to serve. You're not up here. You know, you're, you're in Christ. Yeah. Really, we shouldn't think of ourselves as anywhere. We, sh- we should think of ourselves as in Christ. Servants of Jesus. And now I'm here to bless others. That's how we should think of ourselves, as servants. And man, I tell you what, the example Jesus gives us is so clear. And when you, when you want to know about service, you know what you do? You, you look at the example of Jesus Christ. He is the picture of service. Notice how this goes down. Verse 37, James and John say, Grant us to sit, one at your right, one at your left in glory. You know what Jesus says to them? You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism which I'm baptized? You see what Jesus says there? They say, Jesus, we want to be great. And Jesus says, okay, are you willing to do what I'm going to do? Are you willing to follow me? That's what he really asks. Are you willing to follow me? Okay. The cup, what does the cup represent? In the Old Testament, anytime something hard was headed Israel's way or anytime the wrath of God, anything, anything difficult, they would often describe it as a cup. Are you, are you going to drink this cup? It's kind of like bad medicine. Your mom ever give you bad medicine? You know, and she, you got to drink it all. You know, and you're like, ah, you know, that's kind of what it is. You know, this is going to be tough. You're going to have to drink this down. Baptism. What, what, what's that all about? He says, are you willing to be baptized with that? He's not talking about when he was baptized by John. Okay, that happened a long time ago. He's talking about going to the cross. You see, the, ba- the word baptism, it actually means to immerse. That's what the word means. It's not even translated in, into the English language. Like, like the Greek word agape is translated into the English language as love. The Greek word baptizo we just kind of Englished it, okay? We just say baptism. We just kind of round it out, all right? But it means to immerse. And so Jesus says, are you willing to be immersed in what I'm about to be immersed in? Okay, well, he's saying is, are you willing to follow me? You want to be great? Okay, you follow me and you follow me into service because the one who is great is the one who serves. Notice verse 45. 
For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, there's a bunch of cool things about this verse, by the way. Uh, this word ransom, we'll talk about it here in a minute, but it, it, it defines what Jesus did on the cross, okay? But the word I want you to focus on right now is the word even. You see that little word? Now, you might think, well, man, it's not very important. You could actually say the verse without it, you know? For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That works, right? But even is a very important word there. You know why? Because if anybody deserves not to serve but to be served is jesus right you know why you got breath in your lungs right now because jesus said it was okay that's that's what the bible says colossians 1 says that's what it says you got breath because jesus says okay you're you're alive because jesus says okay you got a family if you have a family because jesus says okay you know you everything you've got your business your industry your money your house your comfort your health everything you have you have because of christ and he comes down and and if if anything if anybody he deserves to be served what does he do he gives his whole life literally his time, his attention, his money, his, his energy, his efforts, and finally, his life. And he gives it all to serve you, to serve those who, who he was around, and to serve you in giving his life as a ransom for many. What does ransom mean? What's the word ransom mean? You've seen those TV shows, right? Some thugs, they kidnap some little girl or some wife or whatever, you know, some guy. They kidnap them and they've got them in a warehouse somewhere and they got a gun to their head and they make the phone call and they say, look, you know, if you don't pay this amount of money, you know, this guy's life, this person's life is ending. We're going to kill him. We're going to destroy him. Right. And so they have to pay a ransom. They got to pay about amount of money to buy back that person. Hey, that's a pretty good picture of what Jesus did. You, you were a slave. The wrath of God was pointed at your head. Okay? Death was coming for you. The grave was coming for you. Payment for your sins was coming. What did Jesus do? Jesus pays a ransom. He pays a ransom with his own life. Okay? And so if anybody deserved to be served, it would be Jesus. But Jesus comes and pours his entire life out that you might be bought back from your sins. Now, you know what that word even means? That means that I can never, I can never rightly get up and say, well, I deserve to be served. If Jesus didn't deserve, if Jesus, he, he did deserve, but if he didn't demand to be served, man, what kind of person am I to demand to be served? What kind of person am I to, to look over and say, hey, you know what? I'm this, you're that. You better treat me a certain way. If you don't treat me a certain way, then I tell you what, you know, here comes wrath. Man, do I have any right to put myself above Jesus to do what Jesus wouldn't do? I think not. I think not. Even the Son of Man. So what did Jesus' service look like? What did it look like? Well, this is really good. By the way, listen up here because we're going to bring these same things. What I'm about to say about Jesus, because what does it mean to be a servant? Follow him. Okay, He's going to show us. Okay, So we're going to look at these things, three things. What does it mean to be a servant? And then we're going to come back and we're going to say, okay, how do we do that? How do we follow that? What's that going to look like in our life? Okay. First thing he did was he humbled himself. Okay. I wish we had a whole nother sermon just to talk about humility. Okay. Because humility is, is just really at the heart of service. But let, let, me, let me show you how Philippians describes Jesus' humility. Philippians 2 verse 6. I'll start with verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves which is also in Christ Jesus who, here's what Jesus did, who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Okay, see the fist? Grasp. But made himself 
nothing. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. What's that verse say? That verse says that Jesus, Jesus had, Jesus, Jesus is God. Okay? And he's existed as God from eternity past. And he had in his hand all the privileges of divinity. All the privileges of being God. Okay, He had that right here in his hand. He deserved all of that. He deserved never to suffer. He deserved never to be mocked. He deserved never to be spat upon. He deserved never to be crucified. He deserved never to have to, 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 to mingle with the, the dirt and the filth and the mess of humanity. He deserved all the privileges of divinity. But you notice what it says? Those in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But what did he do? He did this. He let go of that stuff. And he came in the form of a man. And he humbled himself. And he was born in a, a barn with the, the, the stench of manure everywhere. And he was, he was raised in poverty, on the run. He was mocked. He was slandered. He was criticized constantly. He was beaten, flogged, spat upon. And crucified. Let it all go, didn't he? Okay, so he humbled himself. And then how did he live his life? Well, very importantly, he lived his life meeting the needs of others. What was Jesus' ministry like? What was it? Well, he, he, he fed people, right? He, he healed people. He loved people. He prayed for people. He taught people. He raised people from the dead. He made the lame to walk, the blind to see. The deaf to hear. I mean, it was a constant life of meeting needs, wasn't it? Remember the stories we've gone through in Mark? Do you remember the one where he he feeds the people and and he heals them all day long, way into the night? And then he goes off in the middle of the night just to spend time with his father and pray. And and, and then they go across the lake. And by the time they get to the other side of the lake, the crowd is circled around. And they're all there saying, give us more. What does Jesus do? Remember? He had compassion and he gave. And he gave, and he gave. He met practical needs. Okay, so it starts out with he humbled himself and he let go of his position and his privileges. Number two, he met practical needs. And number three, he carried our junk. Okay, junk's not a theological word, is it? But I like it, okay? I like it because junk implies he carried our sins, all right? That's what Isaiah 53 says, is that he carried our iniquities, okay? All of your mess, all of your pride, all of your filth, all your stinking, wretched sin, Jesus put on his back and he carried it to the cross and he died and he paid. He, he suffered for all of that. But even in his ministry, he was constantly bearing burdens, Suffering, struggling, carrying the junk of other people. That's what it looks like to serve. Mark chapter 10. Shall not be so among you. This is verse 43. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. It's a word that means to render useful service to others. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave. That's an even, that's an even worse word. It means to forfeit your rights and to serve any and all. Okay, so if Jesus tells us, you want to be great? Come on. Are you able to drink this cup? Are you able to, you able to follow me in this baptism? You want to be great? Be a servant? You want to be great? Be slave of all? You want to be first? Be a slave? Okay, what? All right, if we just look at Jesus' ministry, then what's that going to look like for us? Well, first of all, it's going to look like humility, okay? Now, what do we got in our hand? Honestly, just to be good honest, not much, <laughs> okay? What, what, what do we deserve? What, what privileges do we have? What, what have we earned? Not much. But here's the better question. 
What do we think we have in our hand? Oh, a lot, right? We, we, we got, I mean, come on. What do we think we got here? A bunch, right? We think, by golly, people, people better treat me right. People, when I go to the restaurant, that waitress, she better get it right. She don't get it right, she's going to get my scowl, you know. I've, I've been eating with some of you. Come on. That's not what we think, huh? We think people, people better treat me right. People better not. They better not. They better not treat me lowly. That's what we think we got in our hand. Right? I deserve this. I deserve that. What do we got to do to serve? It's really hard. We, we got to let that go. We got, we got to do what Jesus did. Now, Jesus did it just like this. You know how we do it most of the time? It's kind of like, have you ever seen like a six, nine-month-old little baby when they get like a cricket or a June bug or something? And they're like, man, this is the tastiest thing ever. It's going in, you know? And the mom grabs. Have you ever seen that? And the mom, the mom tries to pry it open. And all of a sudden, this little baby has superhuman strength. The mom's like, you know, you know that's, that's what we do a lot of times. Man, I deserve. I deserve. I deserve, I deserve, I deserve, I deserve. We got to let that go. We got to say, no, no. Really, here's what I deserve, hell. Do I deserve everybody to treat me right? No, not really. Do I deserve to, you know, hey, you know, in marriage, man, I see this all the time in marriage. Well, you know, he ought to do this and she ought to do that. And you know what? They ought to do this. And that's right, isn't it, pastor? That's right. They ought to do that. I'm like, well, maybe they ought to, but, you know, if they don't, you let that go. That's what it means to be a servant. Number two, we got to meet practical needs. Practical. This is nuts and bolts. This is stuff you ought to be able to point to in your life. I asked my daughter, I've got a 19-year-old daughter, and I asked her uh, last night. She was home. She'd been on a mission trip in Denver all week. And I asked her, I said, Hannah, I said, I'm preaching on a service tomorrow. I said, just out of curiosity. And I asked her this while she was by herself. It was just me and her. I said, tell me the people who have been great servants in our lives. And, and tell me why you would say they're servants. Man, she named some. Boom, 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 boom. God's been so good to us. Man, we just, we had to stop and praise the Lord. And I said, well, tell me why you think they're servants. And she said, well, man, this, 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 this. It was interesting. About an hour later, my wife came back and I said, honey, I'm preaching on service tomorrow. Tell me the people in in our life that you feel like have been real servants. She names the same people. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? Same people. And I said, well, tell tell me. And and there was a few exceptions to this one. I said, well, tell me how they've served. And, And she named a few different things, but basically the same things. And what that told me is, you know what, this is real, this is just practical stuff. And it really convicted me. I, th- I think if, if, if we're going to say, well, I'm a servant, but we can't point to anything, <laughs> we may not be a servant, you know? You ought to be able to point to some stuff. How am I, how am I investing in something? How am I pouring out? Well, what does it look like? Well, man, it could look like sitting at the hospital with someone when they're, when they're sick. It could be showing up just when they have a crisis and doing what needs to be done. It could be cleaning. It could be running errands. It could be, you know, running kids' places. It could be, you know, investing in people, taking them to eat, praying for them, talking about their spiritual life, encouraging them when they're down, you know, sending them a card. It could be 
working in the nursery, serving young mothers, spraying the cracks in the parking lot with Roundup. Couldn't be giving rides to seniors or doctor's appointments or shopping to the food pantry or teaching the teen kids or riding the, or riding the bus on Wednesday or praying with a grieving family or playing a game with the kids or cleaning the bathroom for the glory of Jesus, putting kids to bed, reading bedtime stories, running errands for your wife so she can rest, doing the dishes for the glory of God. I mean, it could be a million things. But it's going to be something. I mean, it's going to really be something in your life. If you let go and you say, Jesus, I want to serve, it's going to look like something. There's going to be a real investment in people's lives. And thirdly, thirdly, listen, you're going to have to carry some heavy things. What did Jesus do? What did his service look like? Remember? He said, hey, are you willing to to drink the cup I'm going to drink? And are you willing to be baptized? What was he saying? This is going to be tough. Okay? Now, those, those of you who say, you know what? I'm all in. I want to be great in the kingdom of God. I just, I've only got about 10 minutes though. And you know, I don't like to do hard things. So sign me up, pastor. What can I do? You know? Yeah, you're aiming for mediocrity. Okay. You know the way Paul described his service? This is interesting. Philippians 2, 17. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. You see how he described that? being poured out it's like it's like you got your life here okay what does the servant do paul says i've been pouring it out i've been pouring it out on others you know you know what we're afraid to do here's what we do a lot of times we want to do this and so so we begin to pour a little bit and then we pour a little bit and we'll go whoa 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 i got less than i did you know and 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 then we start to get scared we're like man people are gonna take my they're gonna because, you know, there are people that have straws. Did you know that? I mean, sometimes, you know, it's one thing to serve, but other people got straws. There are folks that walk around going, hey, you know, let me suck a little of your life out. You know, they're there. They're there. I mean, they're around. They will, too. They'll they'll drain you dry. Why was Paul not afraid of that? I'll tell you why he wasn't afraid of that. Because here's the deal about servants. When you pour yourself out for Jesus, God fills you up. He does. Now, if if you take this thing and make a mark, and every time someone takes a little bit, you gripe and complain and moan and cry and stick it under your coat, you're going to be miserable. But if you'll pour yourself out, what you'll find is Jesus will pour into you. Okay? Now, I'm not talking about doing things grudgingly. Okay? That's different than service, by the way. You know, doing things because you feel guilty, you know, that's, that's not service. And you'll, you'll most likely be miserable and do a bad job, okay? Do, doing things because you want... Oh, here's a bad one. Doing things because you want someone to do something for you. Well, I did this and nobody... Okay, you're not serving. If there's any kind of if on it. Well, I, I sent them a card. They didn't send me a card. I visited them. They didn't visit me. I, I brought them a meal. They didn't bring me a meal. Yeah, you're going to drain your cup. But when, when you've just let go of all that, You've let go of who's where and what and what who's done and where. And you just commit yourself to meet the needs of God's people. Jesus starts filling you up. Jesus starts filling you up. I mean, isn't this different than, than the world's idea of greatness? Huh? You, you see what Jesus says about the world here? He says in verse uh, 42, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Their great ones exercise authority over them. Man, that's so different. You know, if... If you're looking at greatness, 
from the world's perspective, you're going to be deeply disappointed. But man, when you start seeing that this is greatness, this is greatness. This is what it means to be great. And let me give you a promise, a promise that is told. I'm only going to read one verse, but if, if we took the time, I could lead you to 20 easily by memory, probably. Listen, First Peter 5, 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Humble yourself. What does it mean to humble yourself? Everything we've just been talking about. Humble yourself. Why? He may exalt. When? When, pastor? When's he going to exalt me? At the proper time. Well, what's he going to do? Is there going to be a cash reward for this deal? I don't know. But here's what I know. Jesus never disappoints. Believe it? Jesus never disappoints. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and he'll exalt you. So what, is, what can a servant do? A servant can say, I want to follow Jesus, and I'm going to trust that just as Jesus was exalted after his service, that God will take care of me as well. In fact, some of you, by the way, if you've ever been to me for depression, um, one of the things I tell you, and I, again, I've got to qualify this. Sometimes people need medicine. Sometimes people need counseling. Sometimes people need to, they got garbage in their past. They've got to get out. Sometimes people got sin in their life. They've got to repent of. But one, one of the keys to depression, one of the keys to joy is being a servant. Isaiah 58. Man, I, I love these verses, Okay. Read the whole chapter if you have time this afternoon. But let me, let me read you a couple of verses. Isaiah 58, 10. If you pour yourself out for the hungry. There's the image again. Remember, what is it? You pour yourself out for the hungry. Okay? So what do you do? People got needs. I want to meet them. I'm, I, they don't deserve it. I don't care. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about others. I'm living for the glory of Jesus. If you pour yourself out for the hungry. If you satisfy the desire of the afflicted. Then shall your light rise in the darkness. And your gloom be as the noonday. You ever got gloom? You ever got darkness? You want the sun to shine in your life? Start pouring yourself out for other people. Verse 11. And then the Lord will guide you continually. He'll satisfy your desire in scorched places. Make your bones strong. You'll be like a watered garden. Like a spring of water. Whose waters do not fail. Isn't that beautiful? You thought I was just making that stuff up about God fill you up, didn't you? Some of you did. You thought I was making, you thought, oh, that's a clever little sermon deal. It's right there. Three or four times. Make you like a watered garden. God be watering you. Don't you want God to water you? Yeah. Listen, God's not going to fill up your, your full stagnant cup, Okay. You got this thing in your coat and you've had it here for 20 years and you're not pouring any out because you're going to save it all for you. God's not going to pour any in either. Pour yourself out. Be great. I don't want you to be great. I want to be great. What does it mean to be great? It means you be a servant. You be like Jesus. You follow him. Do what he did. Trust God like he trusted God. And pour yourself out. Real ways, practical ways. Don't just say you're going to do it. You can't point to anything. No, do it. Trust him and do it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Jesus, for serving us. I thank you, Jesus, that you gave your life as a ransom for our sins. Thank you that you carried us. Thank you that you bore our burdens. You bore our sin. Thank you, Jesus, that you give us life. And, Lord, I I pray that as, as you have served us, God, that we might serve you, that we might serve others, that we might let go of our, our privileges and our position, and that we might just bring glory to your name by, by pouring ourselves out for others. God, give us energy to do that. Give us, give us initiative. 
God, give us the will, Father, to serve others. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.